And uh, so they, they have a top tier level of, of faculty. Uh, they have wonderful students. While we were there, I had the opportunity to, uh, uh, I spoke nine times. I did uh, um, a couple of seminars, uh, spoke in a church uh, on Sunday morning for preaching. And uh, um, uh, it, it, was, it was a wonderful experience uh, with such warm brothers and sisters in Christ all translated, uh, and then uh, I, I spoke, uh, I taught in the college and uh, uh, spent a good bit of time with the faculty there uh, and uh, uh, maybe going back. But we had a, had a great experience with these people and a wonderful opportunity uh, to uh, participate in their ministries. Um, I... Uh, uh, now let me see. I will, I'm going to run through some odds and ends really fast. So, uh, am I on here? There we go. Okay. Uh, while we were there, Argyris' uh, computer had died two weeks before, and uh, we were able to uh, uh, secure it. He'd been doing all his work on his, on his smartphone. So, uh, you know, uh, we are his home church, as he regards it, and uh, uh, we, we thank the Lord for the opportunity to get a computer for him. And there's BJ in the back. BJ did an amazing job on this trip, and one of the things he did was get that computer. So uh, it was, it, you can see the, the delight on Argyris' face. Uh, we did, you saw on the slideshow some sites that we saw. Yes, we saw some sites, but um, we didn't, that was about 15% of our time from the time we got there on Friday morning until the time uh, we, uh, the following Friday afternoon we were working uh, pretty much uh, except at night we would go to dinner uh, with them and we, sometimes we would see things on the way to dinner and it was uh, uh, their dinners uh, start about 8 o'clock so uh, it was a wonderful uh, and interesting uh, time uh, to enjoy that uh, everybody fell in love with Argyris's mother she has an amazing amazing uh, story of uh, how her faithfulness and how she brought her son and her family uh, to Jesus. So this, we all fell in love with her. And the dinners themselves were sometimes very interesting. If you're an octopus, does your left hand know what your right hand is doing and how do you know? Uh, and and I've got to tell you, those suckers are crunchy. And I mean that quite literally, the suckers are crunchy. And uh, we each got uh, a bite of that, and uh, my goodness, yeah, I got sick that night. So, but, but we spent a lot of time, uh, our, our sightseeing time was, was the following week on a Friday afternoon and the next Saturday when it was raining. So that's when we, we got to see a few things. This is Corinth in the Corinthian Canal that was dug uh, in the late 1800s for ships to go through. And the reason why they do that, there's an aerial view of it from the government and here's what it looks like on the map. Uh, that little place where uh, the, uh, the canal is dug to go across to avoid going all the way around, obviously. And the reason I point that out is because when the Apostle Paul was there, that is the same place, that the Isthmus, where the Isthmian Games took place that rivaled the Olympic Games. They, they were, you know, Paul was a real sports nut. And the Isthmian Games took place there. But also it, it supported a, 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 an industry called transshipping, where the big ships were taken from one end 
to the other end on rollers, and that's how they got them across. There was no canal. So uh, Paul refers to some of those things while he was there, and also at Corinth, we are standing in front of what is called the Bema, the judgment seat. Uh, that's where Paul was taken. This is the place where Paul was taken, and uh, right there he would have been placed on that. And by the way, you'll notice the, the, um, uh, the new style of uh, clothing. We, we all wore uh, garbage bags uh, on that rainy day, and uh, when we, as we left the, the, the tourist area, we saw other foreign groups all of a sudden now had garbage bags on. We, we started the style. But this is the place where the accused sits or is chained. And here is where uh, people who are judging him sit. And that is the Bema, the judgment seat. Uh, Paul says, uh, uh, Paul was, was brought there uh, and uh, judged uh, because they were trying to accuse him of going thing, doing things contrary to the law. They meant Jewish law. But uh, the Roman ruler, Gallio, would hopefully assume it was Roman law. And instead, uh, Gallio refused to hear the case and grabbed the synagogue leader. The people grabbed the synagogue leader, a guy named Sosthenes, and they beat him in front of the Bema. Five years later, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, Paul the Apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Sosthenes, our brother, grace to you. So uh, that's what happened, and that was the place uh, where, that, where that did uh, uh, take place. It's to the Corinthians that Paul writes that we will all stand before the judgment seat, the Bema of Christ. Uh, here's a couple of views of the college, and uh, yeah, those were my slides that were translated. I did know what they meant. Uh, this is uh, Jeff Baldwin, the academic dean. There's a new building. There's a, uh, there, there that is. <laughs> And uh, I, I, uh, I did want to show you this picture because one of the, one of the uh, things that we saw near the end was uh, um, the town of Ruffini. We went there. You know, some hairstyles just require a lot of gel. <laughs> this is uh, gale force winds. Uh, about 55 to 60 miles an hour while we were there. On July the 23rd, 2018, that was the, the only time before that this year that they've had gale force winds. On that day, the winds were about 77, got up to 77 miles an hour. And that was the day that the Greek fires apparently were started by an arsonist. And you cannot outrun 77 miles an hour. And this is the place where the fires uh, took place. This is an aerial shot. Here's a shot from our car. Um, 99 people died, many more were injured. This is the greatest natural disaster for uh, Greece in the last 120 years, and the country is just reeling from this still. It stopped about a block and a half away from Argyris and Dina's house. Uh, this, is a, this is a path down to the ocean where um, 48 people died because they couldn't get down there fast enough. They could not run 77 miles an hour. Some of them uh, died hugging one another. So, uh, it, as I said, the, the country is, is reeling from this. Uh, but life does indeed go on. They are recovering. 
And while we were there, we were a part of Eric's wedding. That was the second day that we got there. And I'm just going to show you, this was not my big fat Greek wedding. Uh, it was rowdy. It was rambunctious. The time of the wedding is when the groom goes down front, holds the bouquet, waiting for the bride, and uh, the bride then shows up whenever she wants to. So a little bit different from here, and it was, it was, it was loud and, and fun and just a great uh, time and wonderful to be a part of that. The Acropolis uh, and Mars Hill is where we come into the book of Acts, Acts chapter uh, 17, where Paul preached uh, in Athens. And the, the people there were just totally motivated by cultural pride. And I, I, Paul began in the synagogue and then in the marketplace, the Agora, and there he saw several idols, and he could look up the hill to the upper city, the Acropolis. And the Acropolis contained several temples. Best known was the Temple of Athena, the Parthenon. And there were other temples, but all of this made the Acropolis the religious center of Athens. And somewhere Paul had seen a monument, an altar to the unknown God, and that became his starting point. So he, uh, and by the way, you can see... The, this is standing on, this is a panoramic shot that I took, so it condenses things. It's standing on Mars Hill or the, or the um, uh, uh, Areopagus and looking up at the Acropolis, and there's BJ's head right there. There's looking down onto Mars Hill from the Acropolis, and there's look, this is what Paul would have seen looking up the hill. So while he was there, I'm just going to kind of go a little bit faster here. Uh, there's Mars Hill again, uh, and there is the, a plaque embedded in Mars Hill, and that plaque is the text of Acts 17 uh, in Greek. Uh, I love it when things are Greek to me. So, but the, that, that's the text of Paul's message, which John read and uh, what I want to point out to you is what Paul was saying in direct contradiction to what the Greeks believed. They believed that matter is eternal, that the gods are worshipped in, in uh, temples, and uh, that the gods uh, basically are confined there. You, you go there when you need God, but you don't go there at all times. You don't need God. It's only a crisis uh, thing. And it's not God, the one true God. It's the gods who are capricious and whimsical. Um, the gods' uh, plans depend upon and are conditioned by our reactions. They react to us. They're not sovereign. And, and by the way, the gods favor the Greeks above all people, of course, especially the Athenians. They knew this to be true because Athens was the center of the universe it is the navel of the universe. Literally, that's their theology, the omphalos. It's the navel of the universe. So uh, uh, they're very proud of their culture, and that was true in Paul's day, and it's still true today. Very proud of, uh, of their culture. And if you want to look at what a Greek man of science thought about Greek thoughts and Greek pride, a Greek man of science who was a Greek doctor, the first Greek medical missionary, look at verse uh, 21. 
Now all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. He doesn't have a real high opinion of, of what they do, what their hobbies are. So at any rate, uh, uh, Paul says, I, I see that you have this altar to an unknown God. And this is a proud statement that they were making, that there's a divine loophole. And Paul takes on Greek theology. And this is what he says in verse 24. First of all, God is the one who made the universe. In verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So God is not localized or confined to temples. Uh, he is not, as verse 29 thinks, uh, uh, says, he, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and thought of man. Instead of God, the plans of, of the gods depending upon humans, God lacks nothing. He needs nothing from us. Verse 25 says, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. In verse 26, instead of the gods favoring the Greeks, we read he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Instead of the gods being capricious and, and not sovereign or self-sufficient, God, the sovereign creator, regulated his creation. He determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. And in verse 28, For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are his children. There he quotes two Greek poets, Epimenides and Eratus. He knew their theology. He knew their philosophy. He knew their literature. He began with their altar to ignorance. And from there he went on to use their literature, their theology, their theology, philosophy, to point to the insufficiency of their worldview. And he ended at the cross. Look at verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God, you know, to the, they're ignorant to the unknown God, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, I promise you, Paul was continuing in what he was going to say, but he was interrupted at that point. Paul had been speaking about their ignorance being removed, and when he mentioned the resurrection, he mentioned the judgment of God, uh, and he mentioned being, Jesus being raised from the dead, it was the kiss of death for many of them. Because if that's true, that means that the gods are not abstract. That means that God is not distant but involved. That means that God is real, not theoretical. And I would suggest to you that these people are not open-minded. They're not broad-minded. They're very narrow-minded, committed to a closed system of cause and effect where Paul was describing a much larger view of reality. The reactions are in verses 32 and following. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, to ridicule. That was their reaction. Others said, we'll hear 
you again concerning this. So later, we'll think about this later. We'll procrastinate, which really means to ignore. But others said, uh, I'm sorry, but in verse 34, some men joined him and believed. Now, what had Paul been preaching? Look back to verse 18. He was preaching the very last verses, very last words in verse 18, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So when these people joined to him, he continued to explain to them about who Jesus was and about how God raised him from the dead and he died for their sins and they could place their faith in him. So some believed, among whom was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris. That would be a good name for a ministry in Athens, wouldn't it? Damaris. And others with them. So, a few takeaways here. First of all, Greek cult, man's ingenuity does not save. Greek culture is amazing. God wants us to be creative. He's a creator, and he wants us to cre be creative as well. It's part of being in his image. Paul would have seen things he'd never seen before in Athens. Architecture, statuary, theaters, beautiful dead stuff. None of it answers the big questions of life. Are we, are we trusting in our own ingenuity and our own abilities in the things that we can do? Do you, do you rest in your own achievements to give you status in eternity? This week, billionaire co-founder of Microsoft, Paul Allen, died. He was four years younger than I am. How much money did he leave? All of it. So, man's achievements do not save. Second, God is not hidden. God's not trying to hide from anyone. He, men are hiding from God, through religion, in fact. The, the Athenians could hide behind their religious pluralism and commit themselves to nothing. They were agnostic. But if, if God is unknown to these people, it's not because God hasn't revealed himself in creation and in the word. It's because they have closed their eyes to God's truth. Instead, they've substituted man-made religions. We place ourselves on the throne of our lives. So, the Athenians were very proud of their tolerance of what is true for you and true for me. God says, no, there's only one true God. And third, God has revealed himself in Jesus and it requires a personal response from each one of us. Some of the Athenians got it and believed. Most were either ridiculed or said, okay, later on, we'll think about this another time. Maybe we'll think about it later, maybe. But the truth is, later never comes. You have to be challenged and overcome with truth. The true God is not tolerant of other gods. There is, we'll have no other gods before him. He's revealed himself in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls on us to repent and place our faith in him. Life is not a philosophical exercise. There are eternal consequences. Athens is still with us. It's on television. It's living next door to you. Honestly, it's in our Christian bookstores. And it's in some of our pulpits.
The Athenians wanted gods who would do what they wanted, who would give them prosperity, to whom they could go mainly when there's a crisis. They wanted men to control the gods rather than having God control men. They wanted God to serve men rather than having men serve God. They wanted a religion of convenience with no demands. And they went after every new religious fad. They wanted a religion that was man-centered, not God-centered. A religion that meets my needs, not a faith in which I conform my life to God's will. Athens is still with us, but the unknown God is not unknown. Jesus is the Son of God, raised from the dead. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you, Lord, that you would uh, take the truth of your word and sear it into our hearts. We thank you for this episode in Athens. We thank you for the opportunities we had on our trip. And Father, we thank you for the ministries that are going on there that are deep and wonderful. And we pray that you would bless those ministries and do your work through them. Thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to help fund them and to be involved in them. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Lewis.